0: Today, I'm going to cover the Retelling the Story series by Russ Ramsey. This is a set of three books that were books 16 through 18 for my 2021 reading list. When the preface to the third book of this series, Russ says this, Since the Bible was not written during a time when reams of paper and junk drawers full of pens were readily available, we can trust that scripture was written in thrift. The details on the page are there to help us see things we might have missed otherwise. End quote. The key thing there, scripture was written in thrift. Boy, you see that, you see that a lot, and, and I, that really came to life in reading this series of books. Sometimes you'll, you'll see a, a story in the Bible, and it might only have a few lines or, or a few paragraphs or maybe a few pages uh, at most, but it, within that story, it, it's, it's a story written in thrift to the point where every word is there for a reason. And it's important to consider each of the words, and and that's one thing Russ does in this book. Uh, I would follow along in the Bible while I was reading this series, and there would be a full paragraph that Russ had written, and I I would look at it in the Bible, and it was just a few few paragraphs. Uh, But he just he he expands on on the words that are there, and then ties the story into stories that were that were there previously. In, in the Bible. Uh, maybe it's the parable before before this one or it's it's another story uh, even before that one and then also ties it in with things later on in the Bible. So it, it just it provides a lot of context and then if if you're like me, maybe uh, when you were young, you you heard the Bible stories a lot, and, and maybe even if if you're going to church now, you you'll you'll, you'll hear a sermon, and, and it's about a particular text. Uh, but but what oftentimes happens is is you're just hearing about that particular story at that time, and. And you you lose some of the context, and so what Russ is doing in in this series is is providing a lot of that context. Some of it's historical, some of it is is just from stories previously in in the Bible, but uh, but it's retelling it in in that sense of 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 almost putting it together in in a narrative, and it's it's really powerful to read that and the the other to read it that way, and then also it it just gives like a, a fresh view of the stories and of the of the entire narrative of the Bible. So this series is broken up into three books. The first book is called the Advent of the Lamb, and it's twenty five chapters long, and so that's a perfect length for reading during the month of December, leading up to to Christmas, uh, starting you know on on December first and then going to the twenty fifth. So the the first book it goes through the the entire. Bible and uh, gives you a history of the people, where uh, the Israelites, where where they have prophets, and then there's judges and kings, and then uh, on the, in the second half of the book, it's it's how Jesus fulfills each of those roles, and so that's the first book, the advent of the Lamb of God, just kind of an overview of of the entire Bible. The second book goes in. To Lent and, uh, and and kind of follows the the book of John. It, it cover it, it dips into some of the other Gospels as well, but it's called the Passion of the King. And so it's it's about the life of Jesus mostly pulling from the fourth gospel, the Gospel of, of John. And that one is 40 chapters long, and that is perfect to read during the Lenten season of, of 40 days. The last book is the Mission of the Body of Christ, and this one's thirty-one chapters, so it's it's good to just you know read kind of any any month during the year, and it covers the the body of Christ, the the church after Christ has asc- after Jesus has ascended, and so it, it it mainly covers the book of of Acts, and it's the the early church grappling with with all these these questions of customs versus conscience and. Uh, for Gentile believers do they need to convert to Judaism first and and so Russ just t- takes you through that that early church and, and really makes the the book of Acts come alive so I, th- I thought the best way to to describe what this series is like is to to give an example and one of my favorite stories and, and one of the favorite ones that that Russ talks about in this series is is that of the the perfume and the alabaster jar that that Mary, that Mary breaks over, over Jesus's hair and body and, and feet. And so here's the story as presented in John. And then I want to read... How, how Russ talks about the story in the second book, The Passion of the King. So here is John, the beginning of John 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, the one Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha was serving them, and Lazarus was one who was reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of perfume, pure, inexpensive nard, anointed Jesus's feet, and wiped his feet with her hair. So the house was filled with the fragrance fragrance of the perfume. Uh, that's the that's the end of that paragraph. So again, that idea of of the thrift of scripture. So there there's that story and is within one paragraph there. So what Russ does is 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 dive dive deeper into this story. And so I just want to read a few few parts of um the of the chapter about this in, in the Passion of the King of Glory. The sealed stone bottle was made of Egyptian alabaster. It held a pond a pound of exotic Arabian perfume called nard. The costly scent fetched close, fetched close to a day's wage for a day's supply, so it belonged mostly to the wealthy and powerful. Arabian nard was the scent of opulence, the fragrance of those whose needs had been met and wanted for nothing. Over the years, Mary's family had saved a half liter of the exotic fragrance, equal to a full year's wage, and now Mary was its keeper. Mary took a seat on the floor beside Jesus, turning the bottle in her hands as the men Men talked, gripping the bottle with both hands. She broke the stone neck and the scent of kings wafted, wafted up, filling the room with a fragrance that brought an instinctively reverent silence. Then later on, uh, he says this. She anointed her king's head with oil in the presence of his enemies and made lovely the feet of this one who had brought her so much good news. The end of this particular chapter, uh, Russ writes this. The scent that covered Jesus' body, filling the room, would remain on him for the next several days before the scented oils dissipated and were spent. He knew well what those days would bring. Mary's perfume would stay with him through everything Judas had set in motion, his arrest, trial, death, and burial. Judas's and the chief priest's plan would not be able to escape Mary's gift. Every lash of a whip would release the scent of nobility into the air with every blow to his face, every rub of the crossbeam, every tearing away of a garment from a wound, the scent of opulence would fill the air and linger wherever he went, as though a king had passed through this violent world and left behind his spirit. End quote. I just, I love that. Uh, uh, I'll get get in right after this into uh, Russ, the author, and and how I know him, but but, uh, just quickly, he is... He's the pastor of the church I go to here in Nashville, and I've I've heard him tell this story. I've heard him, him tell it, and I had never considered before that 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 perfume would have traveled with Jesus, uh, the smell on his body through that Passion Week, through through his death, uh, the the torture before his death, and you you think of all the people that he came in contact with uh, during that time of of being arrested, and. And being on trial, being before Herod, Pontius Pilate, and being crucified, and, and all these people that would have been around him and smelled that. And and so here, it's almost this, this common criminal of, of this man is being crucified, and yet he has the smell of opulence on him. He has the smell of a king, and it just, it makes that story come alive in a way that I had never considered before. I mean you just you just consider that smell through the entire week. And even as the soldiers divide up the garment of Jesus, would would they have smelled that there? Would they have smelled that on that garment? Uh, just a, a, a interesting what, thing in in but but this series is full of stories like that of of Digging in deeper, um, pulling different, different pieces together. Uh, in that chapter, Russ ties in Judas and, and the money he received for, for betraying Jesus, the 30 pieces of silver. He contrasts that with the amount of money that that perfume costs and, and uh, just in a, in a unique way but but that's what this series is like and it, it's just a joy uh, joy to read. so Russ Russ is uh, the pastor of of the church I go to here. He's written a, a number of books. Uh, he's written this series he wrote, he wrote the book struck, which I read last year and that was about um, uh, uh, a problem he had with his heart to where he almost died and I read that as last year's book. And while I was reading it, his son that he just adopted was, was also in the hospital with, with a heart condition. And it was, it was just a neat time to be reading that book and and seeing Russ um, sharing on social media, just that his son was in the hospital uh, with, with a heart condition and that Russ had had a heart condition that, that nearly took his life. And, and so that, that book last year struck what was that story of, of him going through that, uh, grappling with his faith and, and the the big questions and and yeah, the, uh, just a neat neat book as well. So I, I wanted to read this this three book series by him and and finally got around to it this year. As for reading stats, it took me 17 hours, 47 minutes, and 48 seconds to get through all three books. That was from May 6th through May 16th of this year, 2021. So that was uh, uh, it's 655 pages total in the three books. So that that was about 50 pages per day. In the next segment, I'm going to share three things that stuck out to me, or or three or more things that stuck out to me in each of these books. And then in the final segment, I'll share my the one thing, my one key takeaway from from this series. In the third book, Russ shares this as his main goal for this series. He says, My hope is that this journey through the pages of scripture will capture your imagination in ways that will serve your lifelong study of the Bible, to deepen your understanding of the wonder and glory of the story of the Bible. End quote. And and it did just that for me. I, I love books where I, I have to have the Bible open while I'm reading the other books just for reference or to maybe to look at a part of the story I've never considered before, uh, maybe some of the words in the story I've never noticed before. Uh, just that, that idea of, of Scripture being written in thrift and to really consider every word and to consider every... Every part of the story that that's there, but then also to tie it in with with the rest of of scripture and, and the rest of of what's in the Bible. I just remember reading uh, through the Bible last year. That was the first time I'd ever read it straight through. That was the first book on my my reading list for two thousand twenty, and just seeing how things tied together throughout the whole Bible. The the. One thing I pulled from from that reading was seeing the curse, uh, seeing the curse show up first on on page four of the Bible, and being resolved towards the end. I mean, and and the very last page of the Bible, the the curse is resolved. It's it, the curse is reversed, as as Russ says in this series, but in the very last book of the Bible. So the eighteen hundred plus pages, uh, you see the curse first come up on page four, and then and then be resolved at the end on, on, the, on the last page of the Bible. It was just neat. And, and Russ does that throughout this series of, of tying all these things together. So just go, want to go through each of the, the three books quickly and, and share a few things that, that stuck out to me. So the first book, the advent of the lamb of God, uh, he, he shares, um, this part of the, of the old Testament where, where this woman is, is, is praying and uh, and Eli thinks that she's drunk, and uh, Russ makes this this comment that uh, it's it's like uh, someone who's who is drunk who is mumbling in private conversations with the spirits they consumed. That was just just I mean you can just picture that and you've seen people doing that mumbling in private conversations with the spirits they've consumed. Uh, Russ has a great way of of of. Stating things and, and sharing sharing ideas that way. Uh, one one other thing that stuck out to me in um, in the advent of the Lamb of God was was when Russ was writing about King David and and especially with Bathsheba. Uh, Russ says that that David had been with Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. Uh, they had fought together for many years, so it, it's quite plausible that that David would have known Bathsheba, that he would have been around her, you know, as 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 they all grew up together. And and so he would have seen her before. It's not just that, you know, you can, if you read the story as a one off, you know, he just goes up on the on the top of the roof, sees her naked and and calls her up and but no, the, there was there's probably a history there. There they they had probably been around, maybe they had flirted some, maybe, you know, the it, it wasn't just this one off thing. And and That stuck out to me. And then also uh, after David commits adultery with Bathsheba and and has Uriah, her husband, killed, he's confronted by Nathan. And uh, the the prayer of repentance is what is found found in Psalm 51. And and one of the key lines there is David asks God not to take the Holy Spirit from him. And David had seen what the loss of the Holy Spirit had been like, and the ramifications for that, because he'd seen it in King Saul. And the Holy Spirit had been taken from King Saul, and King Saul would try to kill David when David was playing the harp for him. And so David knew what what that meant, uh, to lose the Holy Spirit, and and he prayed that, to God that that would not happen to him. And so just, uh, again, to kind of consider, th- this wasn't just a a random prayer, you know, he had, David had, had actually seen what, what that would mean. Uh, uh, the final thing in that book is, is, Russ is talking about the time appointed for when Jesus came into the world. And it was a time when the census was being taken, and that census would obligate Mary and Joseph to pay taxes to fund temples that per- perpetuated the narrative that Caesar was God. And then how Jesus even took a disciple in Matthew, who was a tax collector, and what Matthew's job was to take to take money from the Israelites and give it to the government of the Romans, a government that put forward that Caesar was was God, and just a, a unique time to to come into the history of the world. Uh, but uh, those are those are some of the things that stuck out in the first book. The second book, the Passion of the King of Glory. Few things here that that stuck out. Uh, Russ kept bringing up the fact that Jesus would would ask this question, "What do you want?" Or do you want to be healed? So he he would come up to somebody who who um, who obviously needed to be healed. They they couldn't walk, or they had some other other disease or, or malady, and and Jesus would would ask that question of, of "What do you want?" And in it in a way it's almost insulting of. Well, what do you think I want? I I can't walk. My I, I, why are you asking me what I want? But Jesus would do that over and over. And and Russ says it, it. He he wanted to know the desire of the heart of the person he was asking. He wanted to uncover their desire, what what they wanted, and he cared about their desires. And just that that simple question asked over and over to a, to a variety of people was a telling question. I like also that Russ kept saying that the disciples had no category for this or the or the people that were around Jesus had no category for this. Uh, he was doing things that that were were new and and I think that was one thing that stuck out in this whole series for me is that we can just get so accustomed to hearing these stories, especially if we've if we've grown up, in church, and we've heard these stories throughout our whole lives. It just kind of becomes commonplace. But, but to consider it as it's happening, uh, a, a retelling of the of these stories, and uh, in, in putting yourself in the position as they're happening, and realizing these people they did not have categories categories in their mind for what was happening, and so they're they're kind of going with it as as it's happening. Uh, just a, a, a neat way of of thinking about it. Russ writes a uh, really haunting scene of when Jesus is, is arrested and, and ties it into the, to the Garden of Eden. And he says, he says this, as, as the soldiers are coming, it's, it's, it's in the night, so they would have had lights with them so they could see. And, and uh, Russ writes this, in the distance, a serpent of torchlight snaked its way up the hillside into the garden. Through the trees, a soft orange glow flickered as the faint sounds of clanking armor grew to announce the advance of a small army, end quote. I just love that. A serpent of torchlight snaked its way up the hillside into the garden. And just that visual picture and, and, and Russ tying in the the story of, of the serpent in the in the Garden of Eden, but here's a serpent of torchlight snaking its way up into the hillside of the garden. And Russ had, Russ had spent time in Israel, and, and you, could, you could tell that in, in his writing of just... Even uh when you write about particular points of Jesus with the disciples and how they would have crested a hill and, and they would have what they would have seen upon that hill, you it, it came as one knowing and in one who had been there and, and and been in that area. So that was really neat reading these these books as well. And like I mentioned earlier, the, the curse had been reversed. That was another part of the passion of the King of Glory. The third book, The Mission of the Body of Christ. This is the, the final book of, of the series. Uh, these are the things that stuck out to me in this one. Is just the unity of the new believers. So there were, at first, it was it was Jewish people in Jerusalem. And then there were people outside of, of Jerusalem, uh, the non-Jews, so they Gentiles. And how the Jews and the Gentiles they they were united in in their this new faith, and then as as it kept expanding, there was a unity amongst these different believers of different races, religions, uh, beliefs, all, all sorts of things. Like they they were they were united, and just in my travels and in, in meeting people around the world, meeting other Christians, I've I've seen that as well. Just the, this unity, d- despite. Differences in in culture or, or, or whatever, and it, and it's just neat. But to see that in Acts, to see it for for this first time, and and across the world, and yes, there were there were many issues they had to deal with, and many, you know, um, do the do the Gentiles need to become? Jews first before they become Christians, do they need to be circumcised? There, there's all these different questions that they're they were grappling with, but there was an uh, underlying unity in in all that, and it, and it was really neat to to see it and 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 to kind of relive it as, as Russ tells you the story as it as it was happening. Um, it was interesting that Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul, uh, Saul, turn, uh, becoming taking the name Paul, he appeals to Caesar and caesar at the time is nero who is burning christians and I, I think that happens later on but but just the the irony of that of, of paul appealing to caesar is like the last caesar you would want to appeal to but it did get paul to to rome and um but yeah it was just i mean it's like appealing to hitler and he appealed to like the po- worst possible guy and he ended up being killed under nero um but yeah <laughs> Appealing to Caesar, and that was Nero. Uh, and then uh, Russ ends ends the book. He sa- he says that uh, Jesus, when he came, he comforted the afflicted, but he afflicted the comfortable. And that 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 showed throughout these three books, and especially with the Pharisees in in the second book, the Passion of the King of Glory, uh, afflicted the comfortable. The the comfortable thought that they were all right that. That they were on God's side and Jesus afflicted them. He he caused them to, to think and and to realize maybe that they weren't they weren't on the right path and, and many didn't see that, but he afflicted the comfortable, but he comforted the afflicted. And just a neat neat way of putting it in, in that last book. Now a segment three in the one thing, my one key takeaway from this series. And with this, it's one that I keep thinking about. The, um, I guess the, the part that stuck out to me the most in that it, it's still bouncing around in my head. And it's where Russ retells the story of the Good Samaritan. And... He, he tells what the expected answer would have been. So the, 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 and I've heard this story my whole life, so I, I can almost hear it and not even consider it. I, I, I know how it starts. I know how it ends. So I can just be numb to, to the telling of, of this story. But uh, just in, in rereading it here, something struck a chord. And so the, the story is this, this teacher of the law comes up to Jesus and asks him a question. And he, and he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? but this 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 teacher of the law was was asking this question as a test to Jesus. And Jesus knew this and, and as he would often do he he replied with a question. And he said, "Well, what's what is written in the law?" And this teacher of the law responds with, "Well, it's love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself." Jesus responds, "That's right. Do this and you will live." But the teacher of the law wants to ask another question. And he asks, and who is my neighbor? And so who do you think your neighbor is? Is, is it just the person to you? Is it the family to your left and right in the apartment, house, condo you live in? Or is it, is it your people group? Or is that your neighbor, the people you're around? And so Russ says the expected answer to this question that this teacher of the law is asking, the expected answer would have been all the children of Israel. Though that's your neighbor, treat treat the children of Israel well. Treat those around you, your people group. Treat them as love them as you love yourself. But uh, the, to answer that question, Jesus then tells the story of the Good Samaritan. So there's this man who is beaten and robbed along this path, and he's just left for dead. And so the first person to come across this, this man after he's been left for dead is a priest. But the priest is busy, just walks right past him and, and goes to whatever he, he's what whatever he's doing. Uh, next is a Levite. Uh, a Levite is an upper class uh, Israelite, and they had an, a life of honor and privilege. And this Levite just walks right past him too. The next person to come up is a Samaritan. And the Samaritans were not liked by the Israelites. They were despised because... When the Assyrians had taken over uh, the nor- northern Israel, they they commingled the Israelites commingled with the, the Samaritans, so that had defiled the bloodline of Abraham, and so Samaritans were uh, it, 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 there was no there was no love between Samaritans and Israelites. So the Samaritan stops and takes care of of this dying man, pays for. His health pays for his stay at a, at a, a place to, to get better. And then Jesus asked this teacher of the law, he says, which of these three proved to be a neighbor to the dying man? And uh, Russ says, the teacher could not even say the word Samaritan. He just answered, the one who showed mercy. And and then, uh, Russ says this: It was it was the act of compassion that answered the teacher's question. Beyond race, beyond class, beyond religion, your neighbor is anyone in your path. And then Jesus said, "You go and do the same." So your neighbor is anyone in your path. It it made me think of um, the Great Commission, which is at the end of of Matthew. And from from what I've I've heard the 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 way that this is presented is uh, how it's often translated is this, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the father and the son and the Holy spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. But the way that, that, that should be translated is instead of go and make disciples, it should be as you are going, make disciples. So as as you are on this path and in, in it made me think of, of this good Samaritan story. Who is my neighbor? Anyone on your path. So at, as you are as you are going, as you are on this path, that that is your neighbor. The people you come across, and that that doesn't necessarily mean that it's the people that are next to you it, that you live with, or it could be anyone along your path. And so, I, I guess it just it it brought the daily aspect of faith to to view. Uh, it brought faith home in in the sense of how how then shall we live uh well it's your faith is a, is is a daily moment by moment thing and that requires a faith that god is setting the path before you and then a faith to listen to what god is is telling you to do with anyone that you come across on on that path that and that is your neighbor it's it's anyone that you're coming across at any moment in your life, but that requires a faith that that God is is setting that path before you. So, still kind of thinking through all this, but but that's the thing that stuck out to my mind, and and just that 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 your neighbor is anyone along your path. I, I guess it tied in with a lot of other things that I've read in this project of of the books of Titans, and just this, I guess I guess this idea of of of, of daily habits and and just how the the person you are alone is the person you are on the path uh, the person that you are with your neighbor and so these daily habits the the person you're becoming when no one is watching that's the person you will be as as you're going forward as as you're as you, don't don't muster up the the Go and do it on your own, but as you're going, as you're living life, that's that's where faith comes in. So that, that was really helpful to me. that uh, this this series was was full of, of these types of stories and just reconsidering the stories and, and maybe hearing them in a fresh way. So to recap, uh, well, for me, any any book that helps me to become a better reader of, of scripture is one that I, I really enjoy. And so, if I have to have my Bible open while I'm reading the book, I, I'm I'm going to to enjoy it. the the fresh telling of the stories, uh, considering it as the people who were experiencing it would have considered it, uh, with perhaps the limited knowledge, um, not having heard these stories before like 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 we have, um, just considering it from that point of view, it just it brought a fresh consideration and a fresh a fresh view. Of the Bible, um, I will remember how Russ talked about these things, and and I, it, it's just going to help. I I just wrote a ton of notes in my Bible as I was reading this, and it's just something that for for Russ's state of goal of of helping people with their their reading of of the Bible, I, I he did that, and and he his his goal of capturing my imagination to serve in the lifelong study of of the Bible, he. He did that. That's going to do it for this episode. Thank you for listening. I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at eric at booksoftitans.com. Let me know what you thought of this episode or or other ones. You can follow Books of Titans on Instagram or Twitter. And the website is stocked full of resources to help you find the best books and create your own reading list. I'll be back in two weeks. And the next series of books I'm reading, uh, I'm reading right now. And those are by another Russ. But this is Russ Roberts. He's an economist. He is the host of the Econ Talk podcast, one I've listened to since 2013. I'm reading every single book that he's written. Some are novels, some are, are nonfiction, and uh, but they all have a, a, a economic base to them. So I, I will cover that series of books by Rush Roberts in the next episode. Until then, keep reading, keep learning, and keep listening.